Good morning. My name is Yante Gyalok. Would you please stand for the scripture reading for today's teaching, which is in Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning. And congratulations for being here at 11. Have any of you been here for an hour? Okay. But anyways, we are back to our normal schedule, our school year schedule, and, uh, and so I'm glad you're back into making this part of your routine. If you're online with us watching today, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, we, we know that you know, summer is a time of different schedules and weekends can look different. And so um, thanks for being back and beginning to get this new rhythm reestablished um, in our lives. So thank you for that. Also, we finished up last week the book of Acts. And that was great, and we flew through it, and it was really informative. Um, but I also want to let you know about something that uh, it was about, you know, the book of Acts was really about the movement of the church and the beginnings of the church through Asia and around into Europe. And we, we visited a lot of different churches on Paul's journey. And um, in April of 2020, we, we had a trip where a bunch of us from church were going to go and visit the archaeological sites of many of these churches. And we'd visit Ephesus and, and um, Corinth and Thessalonica and, and many churches. And, and uh, we were so excited to do it. And then in March 2020, I don't know if you remember that, but, uh, you know, something really unique happened. And uh, so we didn't get to go. So we're going to resurrect that. And we're in the process of doing it right now. So we are planning on uh, doing that trip. And uh, it's going to be end of May, beginning of June. And it'll be two weeks. And we're going to visit a lot of these historical sites. And we're going to learn a lot. And, uh, and it's almost as good, having just gone through Acts, to now see a lot of these places as it would have been to actually see him before we went through Acts. Um, but I promise you, if you go, it, it'll change the way you read the Bible. You, you'll never, you know, these places that are just names, they mean nothing to you because I don't know anything about these places. All of a sudden, you'll know what they look like, where they're at, the significance of where they're at, and, and when people traveled to them, what that looked like. And so um, some of the people who are going, going to go in uh, 2020 are unable to, and so as we start to put this trip together, want to make you aware of it, because um, there are a few spots open. We're just going to take one bus so we can be together as a small group, and actually we're not going to take a bus from here to <laughs> Turkey. We will fly. That would be a long trip. Um, yeah, so uh, anyway, if you're interested, um, let me know, let Kathy know, and, 
and we'll give you more information as we're really getting into it here in the next couple weeks. All right. Um, last week, I th- you know, just listening to Aaron teach last week, I thought, man, it was a great, it was a great introduction to this series. And we're starting a new series, and it's called My Circus, My Monkeys. It's a look at the church. And uh, a lot of times when we think of the church, we think, yeah, you know, a bunch of kind of uncontrollable people doing things that doesn't make a lot of sense. And sometimes just like mindless things and, and gross things and, and, and what's going on there. And, and uh, God says, no, this is actually a really diverse group of people that are imperfect and messed up, but I want to make them into the greatest place on earth. And, uh, and so we thought, this, this name works for the church. And uh, as we get into it, not only are we going to study um, what God thinks about the church, but it's, we're, we're going to be amazed about how practical it is. And, and I know a lot of times when we get into the fall, we think, hey, you know, give me a series on, I need to build margin in my life. I need to get white space. How do I prioritize? Um, what about relationships? Give me something that's really pragmatic and practical, Bill. And I want you to know there's nothing that is more pragmatic and practical than talking about who we are as a church. Here's why. is because God says, this is who I made you to be. And that is one of the deepest, most profound questions that every human being on this earth is trying to answer. Who am I? Who am I really? Is, is there a solid understanding of who I am in such a way that it impacts the way I see myself the purpose and joy in my life and how I am to live life and how I see other people. And the question is, yes, there is an answer. And the answer is found in the God who made you. And so as we look at this and look, do this study on the church, it is all about who God made you to be. If you made a decision to cross that line and place your trust in him, then he says, here's who you are. And that's what we're going to look at today. And then that, that results in challenges because it, who he says we are sometimes conflicts with who I say I am. And then it's like, okay, who's smarter about that? And was, okay, God's smarter. But it's like, no, a lot of times we just don't think that. We think we are. And so then it's, okay, what do I do with this? And so that's what we're going into. And I think that's what we're going to be um, feeling and learning as we go through this, all right? So we're going to start in um, the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, as, as we just read. And uh, if, if you remember from just a couple of weeks ago, Rick talked to us about Paul's third missionary journey. On Paul's second missionary journey, when he was coming home, he stopped by briefly by Ephesus, and um, this church was started. And then in the third missionary journey, He went to Ephesus, but as Rick told us, he spent three years there. Three years there. And he poured himself and invested himself in this new church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a big, robust, cosmopolitan city. It was um, very affluent and successful in commerce and business. It was located um, on the coast, and so they had shipping lanes coming in and out of that place. They, um, it was also located on a place where there was actually east-west trade routes and north-south trade routes. 
it was um, a diverse group of people who lived there, and um, they worshipped all kinds of gods. In, in fact, in Ephesus was the temple of Diana or Artemis, and that temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So the church started there, and as the church grew there, it, it received opposition because one of the things that it opposed was actually worshiping all these other gods when there's just one. And he needs our attention, he needs our focus, and we need to align ourselves to him. And um, they're saying, well, yeah, well, people travel here all the time to buy stuff about all these other gods and to worship at the temple of Diana, which is this beautiful, you know, crowning jewel of Ephesus. By the way, we'll see the ruins of that on our trip this year. Um, and so worshiping God and Jesus, and so this new group, this new community of followers of Jesus were actually a threat to their way of living, to their economy. Um, and so they, this church grew up with a lot of opposition and a lot of... Um, Well, conflict. And so Paul, a few years later, writes to them a, a letter of encouragement. And he says, hey, you live in a world where you're getting all kinds of messages about who you are. And let me tell you, I, I want to give you the truth about God, who God says you are and have that break through the noise that is just all around you all the time and reestablish your thinking about who you really are according to your creator and who you are to be together as his family. All right, so that's what we're jumping into. So verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, so followers of Jesus, and members of the household of God. And so he's saying, I'm creating something new out of you. When you place your trust in me, something new is happening in you, and I'm gonna continue this transformation in your life into who I want you to be. And that has a lot to do with once when you were aliens and strangers. And what he's saying is, well, if you've ever been on, um, to a foreign land where you don't know the language, the culture is radically different than what you know, and you know that, but you're not, so you're not really understanding, like, what's appropriate for my behavior? And what, um, you know, when they, there's a meeting I'm gonna go to, whether it's a church meeting or any other kind of meeting, and they say, okay, it's gonna be at 10 o'clock, you know, if I get there at 10, is that culturally acceptable? Or um, is it going to start at 1130, even though it says it's 10? You know, and so, I mean, there's the things you just don't know. So you feel out of place. You feel uncomfortable. You can feel lonely because you might not have friends. You can't communicate the language. And so it's a tough place. And what Paul is saying is in your journey, in your spiritual journey, you are a foreigner and an alien to who God made you to be until you're right with God. You will never know and never be satisfied with who God made you to be and who you are until you are right with God. And until then, life on earth can be crushing, confusing, um, difficult. Because you're... you're you're chasing things that you're hoping will give you meaning and purpose, 
Hopefully I can experience things like joy and contentment. Hopefully I can experience things like satisfaction and, and, and uh, just a peace. Is that even possible? And you'll chase things. I mean, I thought Aaron did such a great job of, of speaking to this last week. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. It was a great introduction to, okay, who God says we are. And so the first thing he says is, apart from God, you're not going to find it. You're going to chase stuff that's, that's, that's unfulfilling. And so he says, okay, um, your heart and your soul ultimately will not find this right identity outside a relationship with me. And so he says, you were no longer, or you are now are no longer aliens and strangers because you know me, and you are now fellow citizens of the saints and members of the household of God. So he kind of ratchets up the level of intensity. He says you are um, fellow citizens, which means you're, okay, we're of the same people. We're of the same nation. We have the same authority over us, okay? But you're also members of the same family, the family of God. And so I can be a fellow citizen and yet live hundreds of miles from you. And when you visit me, I think, okay, you're visiting me. But as family, it's like, no, there, there's no more visiting. You're not at a place, you're home. You're home to stay. Your permanent place in life is part of a family, a family that God has placed you in, okay? Now that, the intensity of location gets ratcheted up, but also the intensity of relationship, right? Because if I'm fellow citizen, we could live thousands of miles apart. But if I'm a fellow family member, family live together. I mean, you know, think of your childhood. And, and if that is painful, I'm sorry. Um, but if you didn't grow up in a dysfunctional, uh, painful experience, but you grew up in a family where you saw each other, you hung out, you ate meals together. Um, you lived under the same roof. Uh, you know this about family, is that um, superficiality or hiding or mass or um, uh, being phony doesn't fly because you're with your family member and they at work may try to act like this, but you know who they really are. At school, with classmates, they might want to put forward, this, who, this is who I want you to think I am. But at home, you know the real them. And so there's no phoniness, but there, there's, there's a transparency of who you are and who you're living with because you're known. And one of the points that Paul is making is um, you were built to be part of a faith family. Where you are known, you give people permission to know you and you know others. And that is not something that sits well with us. I mean, we grow up in, in, in the West, uh, most of us have, and in the West, in our Western culture, um, radical individualism is a really a big value. And that is a Western civilization value. It is not a godly value. Because God says, um, you were not built, and I did not make you to go through life alone. To say, hey, me and God, we're good. And God would say, no. You will never be good 
unless you're in community, unless you realize you're part of a family, my family, that I've brought together to be a place where you are known and loved. A place where people know you and you experience the grace of God through them. And um, this, quite frankly, okay, so I've been a pastor for a couple years now. And uh, this, this bugs me. You know, just being honest with you, I would rather go through life independent and not be known. And um, that's my bent. I'm an internal processor. I can hide pretty well as far as how am I really doing inside. But I have people around me who know me, who are with me often, who um, I've given them permission to have a hunting license in my life. They know me enough to know when I'm not well, when internally I'm not doing, I'm not healthy. They know uh, the things in my life I struggle with. And I'm grateful they know me. And I have been called on things when I've been struggling and not wanting to admit it. And that's family. That's family. That, that's going through life together, being willing to be known. And it's easy to go through life in a, in a church and show up and think, okay, I'm, I'm a good follower of Jesus because you know, three out of five weeks, I go to church. And I see people and go, hey, oh, good to see you. Yeah, oh, well, it's good to see you too. And, and then I leave and I know everybody, but I don't really know anybody. And God's saying, I built you to be in intimate relationships, be in community with fellow followers of Jesus. And that's who you are. And so are you keeping your faults and struggles private? Are you keeping your relationship with God private and say, hey, it's just all about me and you, God. And God says, no, um, one of my primary things is love me, love others. You can't do the second part and have it just be me and you. So how are you doing in that? Um, I don't know. It was probably over a decade ago that I became familiar with a C.S. Lewis book called The Four Loves. And there was a chapter in it that just blew this thing up for me. It was just like, this is an epiphany about how we are to be as a family and, and how, what God wants us to be as a family. And there was, it's a chapter on friendship. And he talks about... He's got two best friends, and, and the three of them together are best friends with each other. I mean, they're close, and they're tight. And um, C.S. Lewis, they called him Jack, and then, um, and then there was Ronald and Charles. And, and Ronald was actually J.R.R. Tolkien, and Charles is Charles Williams. And the three of them were very tight. And then tragedy happened when Charles passed away. And in their grief, um, Lewis and, and Ronald said, well, we have each other. And C.S. Lewis thought to himself, you know what, um, I'm going to, now that it's just the two of us, I'm actually going to get to know Ronald better. And um, in the midst of loss, there's a sweetness um, to Ronald's and I relationship. And then a couple months later, 
he thought to himself, I was wrong. It's not true. It's not that there's anything wrong with my relationship with Ronald. We're best friends. But there's parts of Ronald that I no longer have because Charles was the one who brought those things out in Ronald. And not only have I lost Charles, but I've lost part of Ronald. Because we're complex beings. And in and of myself, I will never be able to bring on all of Ronald out. And he said, you know, if that's true of my ability to know my best friend, that's also true of our understanding of who God is. Because I'm going to learn more about who God really is and who Jesus is as I engage other followers of Jesus in life and I learn from them about parts of God that they're embracing that I have not embraced. And so God puts us in the family, not, not to punish us, not to make life difficult, but to know him more and know him in a way we will never know outside of being in community together. And I think, yeah, my, my tendency to want to live life in isolation to not be known is really, really messed up. That's not who God made me to be. Even when it's more comfortable for me. That's not who God says I am. You can't be who God made you to be and stay on the fringes or privatize your spiritual journey. Now, um, if this is speaking to you, and you're wrestling, right now in your mind, you are trying to figure out how this is wrong. Um, you know, you, you can't and embrace God as the truth giver. Embrace God as the one who knows you and made you and gives you your identity. And so... If it's like, okay, I need, to, I need to step into this. And I don't have a lot of Christian friends, or I'm not really, nobody really knows me now. Well, this is, it's a great time of year to engage with things where that can change. I mean, men's and women's Bible studies are starting up. Community groups are starting up. It, it, it would, um, it's an easy place to start. Or if you're like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to take a step, but, but not that big of a step. A baby step would be good. Um, next week we'd have that sneak peek tour coming up where you get a, just a, a snapshot of all the things that's happening around your faith family. And, uh, and there'll be something that, that, that kind of fits you. So next week, 1045 East Atrium um, is where you can be part of that. Now, Paul changes metaphors on us about who we are, okay? And so in verse 21, he says, in whom the church, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God to indwell by his spirit. And so um, this again, now it, it takes it another level of intensity in just thinking of location, nation, fellow citizens, 
Okay, we're under the same authority. Family members, okay, we are to be together and tight and real. Now a building where each one of us are stones that are placed together next to one another into a permanent structure. It's like now I am permanently attached to followers of Jesus. That's my permanent state is I need to think of myself as with God and with others and they cannot be separated. And, and then not only are we under the same roof, but God says God indwells us together. And so there's a permanent attachment bond that is created in followers of Jesus as a result of his grace where he brings us together and indwells us. And so as the church, you know, the church of Rolling Hills is not 3550 Borland Road. This is just a, you know, a hunk of land and brick and mortar. But if we said, okay, next week, let's meet down at uh, Waterfront Park and we show up, well, that's the church. This is just a, would be an empty building. And so God is in us and he says, I want you to be together and I'm going to indwell you and do things within you corporately that you can never do on your own. It's really a, a strong picture and, and one in which, as I said, does not come naturally to us. But this is who God says we are. Now, um, God is also saying with these metaphors, I am bonding you more tightly together than any other influence in your life could possibly bond you to somebody else. Because I'm ratcheting it up from how close families are. And I'm saying you, you are permanently bonded to one another where you are never to escape each other. Okay. So if you're met on the street and a pollster comes up to you and says, can I ask you a question? You say, okay, sure. And they say, hey, can you be a good Christian without going to church? And 90% of Americans will say, oh, yeah. You know, that's me and God. It's personal. It's private. And 90% of America would not be following God. Because we fit it right into our individual perspective of ourself and nobody can tell me what to do and nobody can fit me into a box and I am who I am and God says no I'm your creator I know who you are and you need to submit yourself to me because I know how you best flourish and this is who you are and it's not for our punishment. It's not, oh God, you just want me to work with other people and I don't like people. You know, I got a friend who says, I love humanity, it's just people I don't like. <laughs> and, and I get that, we, we get that. But God says ultimately, um, I'm gonna do in you things that will never be done outside of my family. And I'll use you in ways You'll see me in your life and work through your life in ways that you would never see outside of being in relationship and community with a faith family. It's a challenge to us. 
but there's no way to get around. This is, this is um, Jesus in John chapter 17. Prays for, it's in the, the night that he's arrested. Earlier in the night, he's praying in the upper room and he's praying for his followers that he's about to leave and he's praying for future followers of him. And so he's praying for you and he's praying for me. And so this is what Jesus prays in verse 11. Lord, I pray that they may be one. In verse 21, I pray that they may be one. In verse 22, that they may be one. In verse 23, that they may be perfectly one. You see, I, I, I pray that God begins changing our perspective of ourselves and what our spiritual journeys look like and who he made us to be and who I am as his follower. I, I am forever connected to him as part of his family, but I'm forever connected to his family. And this is where he wants to work in me and through me. That way we may be one. Now we're a different group. We're a strange mix of people. That's why I called it my circus, my monkeys. And uh, you know, when, when God found me, I was a, uh, a judgmental, uh, arrogant, um, Self-righteous. Self-righteous is a good word. It's a bad word, but that was me. That's where God found me. For you, maybe it was, I was, I was a workaholic. Man, it just, performance and success was my identity. And that's where God found me. Maybe I was, I was lost. I was an alcoholic. I was lost. I was in denial. I didn't know who I was because I didn't want to face it. Uh, maybe you were a person full of anxiety and fear. I was just, I was fearful. And so when I came to God, I said, I'm a self-righteous, judgmental person. And God said, no, now you are loved and pursued by me. And you're my child, you're my son. He renamed me. See, we're a bunch of people at different places. And in our search for identity and meaning and purpose in life, it took us to lots of different places, and some of them were ugly. And God says, no. I, I've made a way that not only do I love you enough to pursue you, but I've paid the ultimate, I've paid the ultimate price so I can adopt you. That's who you are. I want to bring you into my family. Now, um, when we experience that grace from God and we come together as his family, it transforms us. And that's, that's really the last thing I want to say is, is uh, the church, we are united as we are transformed by his grace. Transformed by his grace. Now, having said that about myself and, and God forgave me and, take me and took me in through his grace to be his child, um, you know, what kind of a crummy Christian would I be if I wasn't willing to extend that grace to other people? If I wasn't willing 
to forgive others. But I kept my judgmentalism and I said, I want justice. That's what I'm about. I'm about justice. And I see people who are messing up lives and messing up their own life and other people's lives and it makes me mad and I want justice. Um, I think I would be disconnected from actually experiencing the grace of God. Because um, when you forgive, when you extend grace, um, there is a legitimate hurt that you are choosing to say, um, I do not want my pound of flesh anymore. I release you. You don't owe me anymore. Now, how can you do that? I mean, how, how can you do that? Well, the, the way you can do it is to realize that you offended God in a legitimate way. He created you, he made you for a relationship with him, and you've ignored him. Not only have you ignored him, but you've lived much of your life thinking you know better than he does. And that separates you from God. And that's an offense to God, the God who made you. And God says, uh, I love you. Come home. Come home. I've made a way for me to forgive you if you're willing to be forgiven. And man, I want you to be my child. You experience that, that begins transforming you. That changes you. Now, sometimes we, we think, you know, but if I think of myself compared to other people, I think God looked at me and said, you know, that guy's kind of lovable. He's a good guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose him. Uh, but let's not kid ourselves. You know, I think the, the day in my life that I most deeply regret, that still haunts me at night when I'm trying to sleep, that if I can go back and change the way I behaved and treated other people. I think it was when I was at my worst that God says, I love you. I made a way to forgive you. I want to adopt you. That's the grace of God. When you're at your worst, the thing that haunts you, that you regret the most, that you beat yourself up over, God says, I love that person. I forgive that person. I want to adopt that person. When you allow that to start penetrating not just your head, but actually who you are according to God, uh, I start seeing people not as, oh, I want them to be experience justice but I start thinking, I want them to experience the love of God. I, I, I want the best for them. I, I, I am actually willing to forgive people who've hurt me. Now in the family of God, for us to be the family of God, we need to allow the grace of God to transform our hearts to extend grace to one another. And I'm not saying that you have not been hurt by fellow Christians, by this church family. You know, maybe, maybe you're new and you're thinking, I love this church, that would never happen. Well, stick around. I mean, we're, we're, we all have feet of clay. Um, I'll disappoint you. You know why? Because I 
disappoint myself probably more than anybody else. But we're being transformed. And God wants us to be transformed together. And I think one of the reasons why I don't like being thought of as I am forever linked to a faith family. And that's, I, I'm, that's my home. I'm not visiting. That's home. I think one of the reasons I struggle with that is because I've been hurt by people. So I don't want to get that close with people. I want to protect myself from being hurt. And ultimately, and you know this, the people we hurt when we hold offenses and not forgive and not extend grace, the people we hurt the most are ourselves and those who are closest to us that we love. Because if I start getting a heart of bitterness and cynicism in my life, um, it is hard for me to, to rejoice about good things. It's hard for me to see good things. It's easy for me to see bad things and to focus on them and to point them out. And, and that's a poison to me and it's a poison to those I love. And so today, maybe that's something that we need to work on. To say, you know, to be a part of the family of God, I need to allow the grace of God that was given to me to extend that to other people. You know, and that starts with recognizing the God of heaven became a person, God in the flesh, and died on the cross for the sins. He left heaven home. He became an outsider, an alien. He died outside the gates of the city so that you and I would no longer have to be aliens, no longer have to be outsiders but we can be made right with God and we can be brought into his family. And today um, in this room at home, there may be somebody who's saying, I need to acknowledge that. I I've been still in control of my life and I know um, that's an offense to God and I need to turn to God and realize that he's God and I'm not. And uh, I just want, just want to take a second and pray. If that's where you're at and you're saying, hey, today is the day I become part of your family, God. Um, I mean, you're my king. You're my authority. And I submit to you. Then let's just pray. And if that's you, um, you might pray something like this. God, I know that you love me and you have been pursuing me. And I confess that I have not been open to listen to you, to acknowledge you, to follow you. And so I ask you to forgive me. And I trust in what Jesus did for me so that I can be embraced by you and made your child. I thank you for your love and your grace. And God, I, I want to fully embrace who you made me to be. And I trust you in it. And it's in your name I prayed, amen. You know, if you prayed, if you're at home and you prayed with me or you're here, there's just something real quick I want you to do. As soon as we're done, um, if, if you're in this room, just go out to the center tables and just let them know, hey, I prayed along with Bill today, and we just want to give you some information. It's a few verses and thoughts about just to affirm um, what you just did to remind you of the decision, 
and, and why? And then also, okay, now how do you begin developing that relationship with God and this new um, step that you've taken so we give you some practical information? If you're at home and you would like that, um, we'll get that to you. Just go to rollinghills.org slash um, next steps and we will uh, you know, give us your information and we'll make sure we get that to you as well. Now, um, here's, here's the other thing is the truth about God's love for us um, it changes me and even in the darkest seasons of my soul changes me because I never doubt that God's for me or he loves me even when I don't understand what the heck's going on God why are you letting this happen even when um, internally my soul is just slipping into um, depression. I still hold on. It's an anchor that I know that I'm loved and pursued by God. And I think sometimes what stops us from embracing who God is and, and being part of his family is I want to protect myself from being hurt. And so um, today I want us to maybe to square up to that. And when you're bitter because you've been hurt, um, th th there's a, just a strange, false sense of security of holding on to that. Like, like I, I can get you back. I can make you pay. And you owe me, and I'm gonna get it somehow. And I just think of God treated you that way. Um, yeah, I'm thankful for that. But this person, they hurt me. It's like, I'm not saying they didn't. I'm, I, I, I know there's legitimate pain and hurt. But I also want you to know it's going to hurt no one more than you or people you love to hold on to it. And so today we're going we're gonna to take communion and there's communion up here and I think it's back between the aisles back there, and then it's in the very back, and so whatever's closest to you, go there and, uh, and grab the bread and the cup, take it back to your seats, and you can take communion, and, and that's remembering that God be, was willing to become an, a, an alien and a stranger so that you can come home to him. And so we're gonna remember that as we take communion. But also, uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you know, if, if you come together to worship together um, and you have a problem with somebody in your life, you're not reconciled, you're not forgiving them, there is, there's bitterness in you. Then it's better for you to deal with that heart issue than to be in worship together. And so uh, maybe today, the only thing you can do is say, God, help me learn how to forgive. And you begin that process. If you've been holding it for some time, I tell you, you know, go to counseling. Go, go to somebody who's on a spiritual journey who um, understands what it means to forgive. And go through that, start facing that process. And forgiveness is not, I trust everybody. It's like, not, it never happened. No, it's not, it's not trust. It's saying, I choose to let go. I choose 
to say, you don't owe me anymore and I'm not gonna hold it over your head. Do I trust you? Maybe not. But do I forgive you and release you? Yes. And what that does is releases you. So as you come up to take communion at each one of these tables, we're gonna have a man and a woman there that have a green lanyard on. And if today is a day that I need to start dealing with forgiveness more than I need communion, then just go up to him and just say, I need prayer. That's all you can say, all you need to say. And they'll pray for you, they'll encourage you. You can give them your name. Or it's like, I don't wanna give you my name, but I'll give you the name of the person, the first name of the person I need to forgive. And will you pray for me? And uh, spend some time up with people who wanna pray for you and pray for your heart. That you'll be not only experience the full grace of God, but you'll be able to embrace it to a place to where it transforms you and how you treat other people. And so we're gonna do that um, now. We're gonna, as the music continues to play, we're gonna come forward, take communion. And if uh, you're at a place that instead of communion, I need prayer, then um, look for the person with the green lanyard and ask for prayer. Let's do that.